please remain standing for the reading of Holy Scripture. Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Father, we're gathering here today extremely grateful that all the fitness that you require is to feel our need of you. All we need is need to be your children. I pray for those who are here this morning who may not see their need, may have a bit of an exalted view of themselves that by your spirit through your word you would show them who they truly are. That is, yes, made in your image, but also deeply fallen and without Christ, headed to ruin. For those of us who know you, God, would you help us to draw water from the wells of salvation with joy? God, we're thankful for the many members you've given us in college, many of whom, several of whom graduated this past week or the week before, and we pray that you would be with them this summer and be with them as they go. God, I pray that wherever they land in terms of local churches, for those who have gone to other places that they would come and and be salt and light and come would be helpful to local churches. God, we pray for those who are in work in the financial industry. God, would you help them to see their work is ultimately unto you and would they work with all their hearts heartily for your glory? God, would you help them to be good stewards, but also would you help them to help others be good stewards, give them wisdom and insight and opportunity to be able to speak the gospel to people and also to speak about what ultimately matters, help them to be able to fight greed and consumerism, but also prosper their work. Give them favor, give them a kingdom mindset as they go about their work. Father, we care about this church and we want it to prosper, but we also care about Jesus and the gospel and we pray, uh, we care about our city and so we want to pray for other churches as well. We want to see many gospel preaching churches in this city prosper, so we continue to pray for various churches and this morning, I want to pray for the well as they gather. God, would you be with them in their gathering? Would your word be laid out clearly and would you continue to move them on towards the path of maturity this morning? Conform them to the image of Jesus as we're asking you to conform us to the image of Jesus as well. Pray for our team that we sent to Boston this week, that they would get home safely and soundly. Pray that they will have been encouraged, but also even more so that they will have been an encouragement, especially to those in the new church plant of Emmanuel Baptist there in Weymouth. God, would you continue to be at work there in some very difficult places? Help us as a congregation to have opportunity to encourage them from afar with prayer and with financial support. God, I pray for the wanderers, those who've wandered from us or from another local church, God, those who would claim to know you but yet not be 
in covenant community that you would draw them near and would you use your word in this parable this morning to draw them if they might hear but also for us would you use us would you increase our love for your community for the local church would you show us our desperate need for the local church we need help we need supernatural help to look outside of ourselves and for the good of others so grant us that we may increase in our love for one another Love that will, will act for the good of another, even if costly. Grass withers and the flowers fall, but your word will endure forever. We pray this in the name of our King, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. If you're using one of our pew Bibles or Bible in the chair there, it's page 773. And we've seen here as we've tracked through this gospel that Jesus is now on his way to Jerusalem. In many ways, this is his royal procession and he's teaching along the way. And in Matthew 18, you have one of these heavy sections of teaching and he's focused on what's been called the rule of the community, how it is that we as the disciples of Jesus are to live life together. Last time, a couple of weeks ago in Matthew 18, one to seven, we saw that Jesus told us that if we are to make it to the kingdom, inherit the kingdom, make it to glory. We must humiliate ourselves like children, humble ourselves, become like children, but also receive children to adopt the social status of children and prioritize them. That's what it means to seek greatness, not worldly greatness, but kingdom greatness. Act like children and welcome children. And if you weren't here and you're a member, we mentioned a few just next steps uh, one of those is just to get more involved with our own ministry here at Southside, but we mentioned a few partners, and you can find this, I think, in our weekly email. I think you can find this on our Facebook page. If not, just holler at us. We want to help you take a next step. We mentioned our kid ministry. We mentioned Safe Families, a, a new initiative we're wanting to seek. We mentioned uh, Foster 325. Holler at us or Melissa Harrell if you want to take next step. Uh, and House of Faith, of course, is a local partner here as well. Lots of ways for you to seek greatness, so don't let busyness or distraction keep you from taking the next step there. That's what he does in the first six verses or so. And then in 1817, Jesus mentions the seriousness of sin. And now in verses 10 to 14, Jesus is gonna give us another parable. And by the way, this is all a section. So if you're a guest, I would really encourage you to come next week as well. There's really an artificial break here between verse 14 and 15. But also, he's still talking about really the first question in 18, chapter 18, verse 1. Chapter 18, verse 1. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? He's still talking about greatness. How then shall we live? Let's consider two points from Matthew 18, 10 to 14. Number one, look out for the littles. And number two, look out for the lost. So one, look out for the littles. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. King Jesus says, beware that you don't look down on one of these little ones. This is new terminology. Earlier, if you remember in the first seven verses, he mentions children explicitly. But now he speaks of these little ones. It's an, an extension of the metaphor. It's broader terminology for these weak ones, these little ones, these suffering ones. It's a broader category for those who are small in the eyes of the world. 
And we've seen all through Matthew, haven't we? When Jesus enters a room, who is he looking for? Again and again and again, we see Jesus' preference for the down and outs. Preference for the marginalized. He's drawn to the sick. He said, I didn't come for those who have it all together. I came for those who know they need a physician. And he says, see that you do not despise the little ones. Beware that you do not look down on them. Why? Because Jesus says they have special angels looking after them. Their angels always see the Father's face. It's an interesting verse, isn't it? This verse is really the only verse in the Bible that could be used to teach that we have individual guardian angels. There's really no other scripture that teaches that, and I don't think that's what he's saying here. I think the idea here, though, is that this class of little ones, they have angels with privileged access to God. Jewish tradition at this time, at the time of Jesus thought that even the angels in the highest heaven could not behold the face of God because of his holiness. These littles, they may be easily dismissed and despised on earth, but they're represented in heaven by a special class of angels who are important enough to have continual access to God. Therefore, Jesus says, do not despise them. Rather, welcome them. Receive them. Paul puts it in Romans 12, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. James warns us about practicing partiality and despising little ones and trying to go after status. Listen to what he says in James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen. My beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Look out for the littles, not just the supposed bigs, the bigs in the world's eyes. See to it, Jesus says, that you do not despise one of these little ones. As Matthew Henry put it, let not earth despise those whom heaven respects. Look out for the littles. Number two, look out for the lost. Look at verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray. Does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. 
So Jesus has another parable. Remember, we've seen several of those. And here it's about sheep. And basically he's saying, we are sheep, which is very humbling, right? Of all the animals that we could be compared to, lions, tigers, bears, even owls, anything. But no, sheep. That's who we are. Let me show you. I think we have a video. I want to show you one of my favorite sheep videos. So the Lord just rescues us, helps us. We're struggling, redeems us. We're free. <laughs> I can relate to that sheep so well. And here in this parable, God shows his pastoral heart, his shepherding heart. Isaiah chapter 40 says, God will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Our God is a shepherd and we're his wayward and dumb sheep. Psalm 95, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. One of my favorite passages about God as shepherd comes in the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 34, of course, one of the problems with Israel is they had unfaithful shepherds. One of their main problems, they had unfaithful, selfish shepherds. And so God promises through Ezekiel that he's going to come and he's going to faithfully shepherd his people. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing lands. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherds of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy, I will feed them in justice. God is a, is a pastor, he's the shepherd and when one goes astray, he's going to leave the 99 on the hill and he's going to go seek out that which was lost. God cares about all of his sheep. You know what we would probably say? Our thinking would be, well, just let it go. It's not worth the hassle. We've got 99. It'll be fine. Serves the dumb sheep right. God's thinking is, there were 100. Where's my one? Notice the emphasis on that word one that we've seen. In fact, it goes back up to verse five, 18, five, whoever receives one such child, verse six, whoever causes one of these little ones, verse 10, see that no, you do not despise one of these little ones. Verse 12, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray there at the end in search of the one that went astray. And then at the end of verse 14, it's not his will that one of these little ones should perish. A 99% success rate isn't good enough for our God. He cares about all of the sheep. He cares about you individually. It's not willing that any should perish, 
This word perish here, in, in the original language, it's in the middle voice, which means cause themselves to perish, to self-destruct, self-ruin. The word can mean lose or destroy, ruin, perish. It's really the same word. He's used it a few times. It's a warning of judgments. Flip back with me just a few pages to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Remember these warnings at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, 713. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to, same root word here, destruction. Those who enter by it are many. It's a warning here of perishing, of being destroyed, of judgment. He uses it again in chapter 10. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Exact same word here for perish. Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear, who, fear him who can, here it is, destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying that if a sheep leaves the flock and does not return, it'll perish. So in this parable, we have two things. We see the, the heart of the father who cares, but we also have a warning here for straying sheep. It's a strong warning, and the New Testament's filled with warnings. I think sometimes we mute warning passages like this, and we don't want to hear them. And I think it's because we have a faulty notion today in so many circles of Christianity, a faulty notion of salvation and discipleship. Too many hold to a wrong version of once saved, always saved. Never remember when I was in college, I'll never forget when I was in college, I was actually here for a summer, and we did some door-to-door evangelism and knocked on a door right over here. It might have been right here on Palm. Knocked on a door, it's a Sunday afternoon, and uh, this guy's, what do you want? Just want to talk with you. And you can hear him grumbling the whole way down the steps, opens his door, and try to explain who we are, that we're Christians, and he just cut us off. He don't hear us, he just cut us off. Do you believe in once saved, always saved? And of course, even back then, I was already a little bit uncomfortable with the way people use that doctrine, and so I didn't want to say yes, and I began to, began to talk, and, well, do you believe in it? Well, yes, but, well, so do I, bam. Shut the door, went back to watching golf or whatever he was doing. I think there's lots of people who are, are not saved, but think they are because of a faulty notion of once saved, always saved. It's a relevant word here in Abilene especially. We've been taught if you just walk an aisle or pray a prayer or sign a card, then you're once saved, always saved, even though you know what? The New Testament doesn't mention any of that stuff. The New Testament never says look back at some decision that you made or some event that you did or some aisle that you walked. The New Testament's always in the present tense. It's not what happened back then. It's are you following Jesus today? Always imperfectly. But are you fighting sin and turning to the Lord today? We've seen Jesus' call is what? Follow me, isn't it? Again and again, follow me. So better language is perseverance of the saints. The saints will persevere and God will preserve his saints. Jesus himself is going to say here in a few chapters, those who persevere to the end will be saved. Better way to speak of it is once saved, always following. Because there's warning after warning in the New Testament, almost every other page written to Christians saying that if you do not persevere in faith, you'll be judged 
Now, this is not salvation by works. It's salvation by faith. But everywhere we see in the New Testament, faith always transforms a person. And if a person hasn't been transformed, we've got to ask, do they actually have faith? Faith, Galatians 5, 6 says, works through love. It's not just this mere, yeah, I believe intellectually, but it doesn't affect the rest of my life. James 2, again, that we read from a little bit later, says that even the demons have that kind of faith. Even the demons believe intellectually, but what's the difference? Demons don't obey Jesus. And that's been his emphasis in this gospel, hasn't it? Flip back again to Matthew chapter 7. End of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is landing the plane on the most famous sermon in the world. And what does he say? Just accept Jesus into your heart and everything will be fine. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What, how do we know if someone has genuine faith? They do the will of the Father. They obey. It's really important to Jesus. We need to hear this word. We need to have our will and our conscience pressed a bit. In fact, that word does is used 22 times by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 alone. Look at just a few verses down, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. See, genuine Christians will keep following Jesus. Remember the four soils? Another parable of Jesus, we hit it back in chapter 13. Only one of the four bore any fruit. Remember there was the soil along the path and it snatched away. There's the rocky soil that has no root. It endures for a little while and then it falls away on account of the trials that come. There's the thorny soil. It's choked out though due to the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. And then there's one good soil. And we know it's good how? It bears fruit. Bad soil does not bear fruit and endure. It may endure for a little while but it'll fall away showing the soil was bad. Those who were never truly saved will fall away. And those who are truly saved will endure to the ends. Their falling away is how we know that they were not genuine followers of Jesus, right? They stopped following. I love the way John helps us here in 1 John 2, 19. These people left our churches strayed from the flock. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. So this whole idea of the, the nature of true and saving faith is really important in Abilene, Texas. Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty and flawed from the first. And so what does this mean here? What does this mean in this passage? 
Really two things we see again, God's heart and the warning. God doesn't want you to perish. So you must stay with the flock. And those, who, those of us who are in the flock need to share God's heart for straying sheep. That's why perseverance matters. And so specifically then, for Southside Baptist Church, what does this mean? Two applications. First, elevate your view of the local church. Notice what he says here. You wander from the flock, you end up being destroyed, ruins. The church is vitally important for our faith. The church is vitally important for us to persevere and to finish well. We all know people, don't we? We all know people who at some point said they were Christians and no longer are. Disinterested, disengaged, bored by it all. They've left the faith. Do you know what happened long before they actually left the faith? They disengaged from the local church. They quit on the church. It's, the church is so important. It's the body of Christ. He's the head. And so we must remain together. I mean, just think about the images we're given, right? It's a body. If after service, you're going out to your car and you stumble over a severed hand, you're probably not going to just stumble over it and keep walking. That ain't right. That hand belongs to somebody somewhere. The church is a body. The church is called the temple. It's a building, right? So a brick doesn't belong in the middle of the street. The brick belongs as part of the building. Could go on and on about the images we're given of the church. Maybe you're not a Christian here. And here's the order. Trust in Christ, turn from your sins. That's your first step, faith and repentance. Christ stands ready to save. All you need is to feel your need of him. If that's you, your first step is to trust in Christ and turn from sin, faith and repentance. Next step is to publicly pledge allegiance to Jesus through believer's baptism. And right along with that is to join a local church in order to follow Jesus faithfully together. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're not a member of a local church. I would just humbly say you're in a danger zone. You need to commit to a community. You need fellow believers. According to the New Testament, you need the one and others. You need accountability. You need the weekly means of grace. You need, Hebrews 13, leaders to submit to. You need sound doctrine and protection from false doctrine. You need the church to persevere in the faith. So elevate your view of the local church. Flip over to Hebrews. Hebrews is to your right a little bit. I'd love for you to put your eyes on these verses. So flip over to your right several pages. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12. Elevate your view of the importance of the local church. Hebrews is almost, almost the whole thing really is a sermon of warning, right? We have the famous warning passage of Hebrews chapter 6. But there's actually warnings all over the book. And notice this warning he has in chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Watch out. Be on guard. Lest there be in any of you, church, an evil, unbelieving heart. Leading you to fall away from the living God. There's a warning there. You know that we, all of us, none of us are exempt from this. All of us could fall away. If we're not faithful, that's why this warning is here. Take care that you don't. Take care that 
You don't, your heart doesn't begin to lack faith, unbelieving, leading you to fall away. And then he gives us the solution. How is it? Okay, I hear you. I don't want to fall away. I want to finish well. He gives us the means in the very next verse, verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There it is again. He has a warning on the front end and a warning on the back end. We don't want to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that's what it wants to do. Genesis 4, 7, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to rule you. We don't want that. We want to finish well. We don't want to fall away. We don't want to be hardened. And what is the means God gives us right here? The local church. Exhort one another every day. I wonder, when is the last time you gave an exhortation to a fellow believer? When's the last time you received an exhortation from a fellow believer? According to the word here, we need it. And how often do we need it? Every day. If we're going to finish well, we need the local church. We need believers in our lives exhorting us. We need to speak of our core values, authentic community. How do we stay? We receive exhortation, the one another's from one another. Flip over just a few pages to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is part of what it means to be a Christian is that we come together and we consider how can I do spiritual good to someone this morning? Anytime we gather, anytime you're together, it doesn't have to just be Sunday mornings, but one of our goals as a Christian is I want to consider how can I stir up love? How can I stir up good works? How can I push them a little bit closer to Jesus? Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, do not neglect the corporate gathering of the church. This is a command. I'm so glad that we're coming out of COVID. And so we've had to give a lot of grace. We've wanted to give a lot of grace during COVID. I'm so glad now that we're coming out of it and we're a place where we need to be getting back together. We have all kinds of measures. We even still, we're still having our mask room. So for those who are still convicted about wearing a mask, we want to provide that opportunity. So there's really no excuse at this point from gathering together. And it's a command from God. We tend to just think it's a small thing, right? Eh, we'll just skip church this week. Dallas is on. Let's run to the lake, whatever it may be. God commands us, and the writer of Hebrews actually mentions judgment day. Do you see that? It's there at the end. The day, the day, judgment day is drawing near. The day is coming, and so don't neglect the corporate gathering of the church. It's a big deal. This is why part of our membership covenant here at Southside says this. We are ruled by God's word. We will not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. It's basically a quotation of Hebrews 10.25. Do not neglect do not neglect to meet together. We will not forsake the gathering of ourselves together, but we'll prioritize corporate worship, 
treasuring our church's weekly opportunity to sing the word and pray the word and hear the word and see the word displayed in the ordinances. So elevates your view of the local church, of staying in the flock of God. Second application for us specifically, and we've already seen it a bit, but we need to see the seriousness of straying from the community. That's what Jesus said, right? If a man has a hundred sheep and one has gone astray. In other words, we need to see how serious not being plugged into a local church is. And again, in Abilene, it's a huge problem. We got tons of Christians. Again, I've yet to meet, I know there's some out there. I've, I've yet to meet someone in Abilene who doesn't say they're a Christian. Tons of people say they're Christians. They say they follow Jesus, but at best, they're only tangentially, tangentially, tangentially connected to a local church, right? CEOs maybe, Christmas, Easter only. Just this week, I heard a song by Sam Smith called Pray. As far as I know, Sam Smith doesn't walk with the Lord. But the songs, you won't find me in church? No. Reading the Bible? No. If you know Sam Smith. I'm still here and I'm your disciple. I just want to tell Sam, not if Jesus is defining what a disciple is. Disciple means learner. Disciple means follower of Jesus. Jesus wouldn't recognize such disciples. This is the type of person that Jesus would say, Matthew 7, is I never knew you. But it's very common in our day. And there are people who attend churches but never commit, never join. They're more just consumers, not contributors. Many in the city treat membership like the gym membership, right? Their name's on the list. They may even send money, but you rarely see them there. Others treat it like membership to Sam's Club. I'm coming when I want to come to receive religious goods and services. Well, God's will is that we commit to a local church and that we stay with it. And friends, meaningful church membership is when each member takes responsibility for other members. God goes after wandering sheep, but how? How does God go after wandering sheep? Through you. Some of the most incredible work we're called to. That's why, again, it's a bad chapter break. There are no verses when Jesus is teaching this, no verse breaks, but look at the very next verse there in verse 15. It's back to back for a reason, which is why I'd love for you to be here next week. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. You get to do that. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to even to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, outside the covenant community. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. God seeks wandering sheep through faithful sheep. 
through you. That's what local church membership is for. Each member helping each member not stray. Each member helping each member finish well. And we need the church prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's why there are 35 or more some one another commandments. Commandments written to local churches saying love one another and pray for one another and rebuke one another and bear one another's burden on and on and on. And all those one another's really to mean anything, they have to have names. So as a member of this church, you're covenanting with other members. Having spiritual responsibility for one another. Again, here's how part of our membership covenant reads. We are in authentic community. We will work and pray for the unity of the church. We will walk together in Christian love, exercising in affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonishing and encouraging one another as occasion may require. So God cares about his flock and God cares about wandering sheep. Therefore, we must also care. And so very practically, are there members of this church that you haven't seen in a while? And by members, I mean those that are in this directory. We've had people that have been with us and have joined other churches, but members that are in this current directory that you haven't seen, reach out. A clear application from this passage is to seek them out, to reach out, see how they're doing. Ask them where they've been. God leaves the 99 and he pursues the one. And maybe they're fine, but maybe they're not. Again, one of the first steps of apostasy, of falling away, is neglecting the local church. Proverbs 24, 11, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. You know, we really, we are most God-like when we're pursuing straying sheep. So is there a church member that you know that you haven't seen in a while? Jesus would have you reach out. The Lord would have you pursue members who are not regularly gathering with us, Hebrews 10. Let me say a a word to our leaders this morning. Our leaders or aspiring leaders. Think of the imagery of shepherding. We're under shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd, which means most of your work, a lot of your work will be negative work. Leaders do tend and and feed the flock through the word, but they also guard. They protect from wolves and they guard from false doctrine. And a lot of the work of a shepherd is pursuing straying sheep. It's just part of what it means to be a shepherd, to be a pastor. And so leaders, you lead out in that some ways, but church, what I want you to hear, this is not addressed to church leaders. The audience of Jesus teaching here is the community of disciples. It's the church. This is the responsibility of each member, not just the leaders. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. I'm no priest. Every spirit-filled believer is a priest with ministry to do. And so as we do this, let's expect not always a, a warm welcome. In some ways, what we may be doing is getting in someone's grill 
It's not easy to have these sorts of conversations. But you know what? In God's kindness, God often uses hard conversations to draw people back. There's testimony after testimony in this room of a brother or sister going and asking something that was a little bit in their grill. And the Spirit used that and haunted them and brought them back into the fold. I wish we had time to tell some of them. So as we try to faithfully embody Jesus' vision for community life, misunderstanding may occur. And so maybe you're here, maybe you're in the live stream, someone might call you up, hey, I miss you, how you been? Is everything okay? Don't get offended. You may have legitimate reasons for not being here. You may have sick kids, we've got lots of that, certain months of the year. You may have sick parents, maybe out of town, you may have a legitimate reason to be missing the gathering. Don't be offended, actually be grateful because you know what it is? It's a fellow member of the church actually loving you. This is God-like love concerned for your soul and just want to make sure you're still following the Lord. Hebrews 10, this is vital. Alex Duke writes this, he says, imagine a non-attending, he puts church member in quotation, imagine a non-attending church member arrives at judgment day and to his surprise he's told he will receive God's eternal judgment. Amid this man's protestations, but I'm a church member, I, I tithe, but I, I wonder if the Lord might say, depart from me, for I never knew you. At this moment, how loving will the church seem that did nothing? To just disregard them, to just say, not my problem, out of sight, out of mind is not loving, friends. It's actually the opposite of loving. Spurgeon said, if a sheep has strayed, let us seek it. To disown it in a hurry is not the master's method. Ours is to be the labor and the care to the end that all may be presented faultless before God. One month's absence from the house of God is in some cases a deadly sign of a profession renounced. While in others, a long absence is an affliction to be sympathized with and not a crime to be capitally punished. How will we know if we don't exert an effort to reach out to members of the flock who've been gone astray, perhaps led astray? So this is not necessarily fun. This can be incredibly difficult work, in fact. But how does God do it? The God of all the universe, how does he keep his flock together through his flock, you get to be a part of some of the most significant work in the world. James chapter five, verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Christian, when you bring back a sinner from wandering, you save their soul from death. Now, God does the saving, but God always uses means. He always uses means. And in this case, the means he uses is our words and our loving care. Our faithfulness is the means. Oh, and what joy there is in repentance and reconciliation and restoration. Look what he says there in Matthew 18, 13. Jesus said, and if he finds it, Truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. God the shepherd rejoices more when sinners repent than over those who remain. There's nothing like the joy of repentance. 
As St. Bernard of Clairvaux said, the tears of the penitent form the wine of the angels. Friends, let's share the heart of God. Let's be the hands and feet of God. Let's look out for the littles and let's go seek out the lost and wandering. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word and your clear instructions for us and how you would have us live in your community of the new covenant. Thank you for Jesus' teaching. Thank you for your heart for us. That you'd keep us and you preserve us. And thankful that we get to be a part. We get to be the means by which you keep us and preserve us as we encourage one another with the word and, and exhort and perhaps at times even warn. God, would you continue to build this church together? Would we continue to be a faithful flock? Would we continue to care about you? And as a, an expression of that, a fruit of that would be we care about one another. God, I pray that if there are members of this church that are currently on this path, that you would bring them back. By your spirit, go ahead of us. We want to see every single member of this church presented faithful, presented blameless. Help us to that end. Give us fruit. For those of us who know you, would you help us to keep the main thing the main thing, God? We confess our unbelief. Help our unbelief. We believe. We just need your help. Would you preserve us? We don't want to go astray. We don't want to be hardened. We don't want to fall away. And so would you keep Jesus before us? Would you keep him precious? Would you keep him central? Would we keep on believing? Would we not stray from the hope of the gospel? For your glory, for our good, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.